Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. What a weekend it was on the diamond. Astros get a sweep of the Atlanta Braves. Feels like they're starting to turn a corner. LSU had to fight for it, but they got themselves their first Southeastern Conference sweep of the season as they go into Oxford and take all three games from the defending College World Series champions, the Ole Miss Rebels. Wasn't... A great weekend for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns as they were on the other end of a sweep by J.M.U. Gross. Gross. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one. I'm joined inside the Zevco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by a man who's ready to go, laser focus, ready to rock, and a man who's decided to go with a different style for his hair this morning. The producer extraordinaire Dawson Iserlo joins us. Dawson, good morning. How are you? I'm not sure what you're referencing about the hair. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and... Look, when your elbow hits the button, it's just, it's, it's such a Monday. It's unbelievable how much of a Monday it is. It's so many ways. Hey, bud. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We got you, this, man. What's with the hair? What, is, something's different? It's I'm, a little bit different with you. It's got, you know. Not on purpose. <laughs> trying to give you a compliment well thanks but yeah that, <laughs> no. that's... Dawson's like no don't do that don't there'll be, there'll be none of that there'll be none of that today we got plenty to get to it is Monday boy it just it began like at 4 45 this morning <laughs> and Dawson and I were communicating we're like well that's not the optimal start to the week but here we are we do got a lot to get to busy weekend on the diamond with all the sweeps Zurich Classic crowned itself a new champion down there at TPC Louisiana. Our guy Dawson was there. We'll talk about that. NBA playoffs. Also, more injuries in the NBA playoffs. <laughs> Victor Latour was just like, really? Really? That series alone is just like, the Heat have, they're in control of that series and they've lost two of their best players through four games like like it's a weird series too it's a weird series because Giannis hasn't been playing so we'll get to all of that we have two great guests for you today Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio will be joining us at 7 30 and then Brady James the LSU All-American linebacker 10-year veteran in the NFL he is spearheading some 
exciting, interesting research about alternative treatments for pain relief for athletes. We'll talk to Brady about that. That's going to be coming up at 8 o'clock. So, still plenty of time for phone calls. You know we love to hear from you. Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Let's start off with what happened on the diamond. LSU, it didn't look the prettiest. And they still gave up some runs on the back end, right? Didn't look amazing. That said, they were able to get a sweep, their first sweep of the season. Got some guys that are maybe banged up again. It feels like we're doing this every week with LSU, doesn't it? They get a win in a series. They look good. They pull out some hard-fought wins, and then they lose a player. They lose a player to injury, and you're like, oh. It's like right when they have something good going for them that you're like, hey, great weekend for the LSU Tigers, and it was. Look, I know Ole Miss is down. I know the Rebs are on the struggle bus. And, you know, welcome to the SIP doesn't necessarily mean what it did last year. But it's still a conference series sweep. So that's the good thing for LSU. Went on the road, bounced back from the midweek loss, and the Tigers go into Oxford. And not only do they win the series, they get the sweep. Do I love the fact that They gave up three, four, and six runs. No, don't love that part of it. You would like to see them not give up so many runs. That said, they still got the win because their lineup is absolutely just, it's stupid, right? It's, it's, it's just so, it's just so filthy. Dylan Cruz was amazing. How about Ty Floyd? He gave the Tigers a long start on Saturday, which was good. And if you can get that type of production out of him moving forward, then maybe he's your number two guy. Maybe that's what it is. That could go a long way for this team. He just could. Because they're looking for somebody to pair up with Skeens, who was, let's be honest, he's been phenomenal. But they're needing somebody else. Win in dramatic fashion. You thought that game was over yesterday, right? Looked like they were going to lose the ball game and not get the sweep, but they found a way. And this lineup is built in a way where it doesn't even matter. Like, Hayden Travinsky came in, and he's had some moments, but he was a pinch hitter yesterday and launched a two-out, 
three-run home run in the top of the ninth inning to lift LSU to a 7-6 win. So even when they're not their best, and in a lot of these series, and over this past weekend, they were not their best. They find a way. And there's always somebody ready to step up, Dawson, when it comes to the LSU lineup. If someone gets hurt, someone else steps up. If someone's having an off night, someone else steps up. If Dylan Cruz has walked four times in a game, guess what? Somebody finds a way to step up. And they got a guy that comes in as a pinch hitter and lifts them to a win yesterday to be able to get the sweep. Yeah, I, I think if you're an LSU fan, you're ecstatic with the pitching this weekend. I mean, if you're going to give up, you know, on average, essentially four and a half, five runs a game for a series, you're going to win almost all those series because, like we said, they're just not going to get held under four or five runs very often. So no, they're not. You take. I, I think if that that's like this weekend for them is kind of the blueprint. You know, like, and and Skeens again, like Skeens is the, is that good? But again, he's not necessarily like. Eight innings, one run every single week, good. Um, and I think like there was a time frame where it looked like he was going to be. But again, part of that I think is just how how good SEC lineups are. So I don't think it's you know saying that he's not that guy. He is. He's going to be a first round draft pick. But if you get the pitching, if you if you hold teams under four or five runs consistently for a weekend the way they did, they're going to have a game where they score ten runs in a weekend for the most part. So you know they lined it up where they they needed seven yesterday and they got seven and so you know that that's the uh you might lose a game in a series when something like that happens if the day that you give up six or seven runs isn't the day you score that many but um they're they're just very tough to beat and again they're I won't say next to impossible to beat two games out of three but like they're just so hard to beat multiple times in a weekend not to take away but Ole Miss may be the worst team in the SEC so that that's once again, we talked about, look, a sweep is a sweep at the end of the day. It's a conference sweep on the road. The pitching staff did better. Did not love what I saw on Sunday. But it was good enough to win. But once again, they got bailed out because someone came off the bench and jacked a home run in the top of the ninth inning. If he doesn't do that, they lose. So... We, we tend to go one way for a loss. We we overdo it for, for defeats. We overdo it for wins. It's a little bit in the middle. It's a good that they got a sweep. Not so great that Tommy White has to come out of the game yesterday for an undisclosed injury that Jay Johnson did not have an update for afterwards. The reporters that were covering it, Leah Van or Koki Riley from The Advocate and The Advertiser, respectfully, didn't have, couldn't tell us why he was pulled. They didn't see anything that suggested, hey, this is a reason why he was pulled. And Jay Johnson didn't have an answer afterwards. So once again, back to the bigger thing. I worry, and it's a slight worry. It's not an over the, look, this team's going to Omaha. I have full confidence that's happening. And every team deals with injuries. Is this team going to be healthy enough to be able, because they're losing guys here and there for a, l- a little while, right? And we saw when Paul Maneri had his best chance of winning a second title, they had an injury to one player, a pitcher, before the National Championship Series against Florida, and they lost that series, right? So injuries are part of the game. 
but Tommy has been phenomenal for them. I and mean, when we talk about Dylan Cruz and we talk about Dre, but Tommy has been absolutely lights out for them this year. Playing like an All-American. Hopefully, it's not going to be a long-term thing, but it does feel like this LSU team's having to deal with injuries constantly. Yet, they're still number one ranked in the country, yet they still found a way to sweep a conference series. So, all things are running full steam ahead in a good way. No complaints there. It's just little things to kind of be like, you are right. It seems like Alabama's turned a corner, so I think that's going to be more of a test than we maybe anticipated it being. You called that about three weeks ago. Dawson, when you said, well, Alabama, and I said, well, the team's wildly inconsistent. It seems like they've kind of found their mojo a little bit. So maybe that's a, a better test at home than I thought it was going to be. And Georgia played well over the weekend, too. So, um, well, in, in South Carolina, South Carolina may be the best team out of the East, and they split with LSU. So, SEC is just absolutely stacked. That was the sweep of the good kind. What happened to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns? On the road, I'll dive in deeper when we after this timeout because it was gross. It was a head scratcher of a performance for Matt Deggs' team on the road at JMU. We'll get to that next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Raging Cajuns were riding high, weren't they? Seems like just a few days ago. Take down the number one ranked team in the country. Felt like you turned a corner. Did so in their place. First win against the number one ranked opponent since 2014. And then we talked about, hey, they jumped up 14 spots in the RPI. They were playing themselves... They had put themselves in a position to not have to worry about winning the conference tournament to get into an NCAA regional. The only thing they had to do, we even mapped it out. The only thing they had to do was win the series they were supposed to win the rest of the way against inferior competition like James Madison, like ULM, and even, I felt, like Texas State. And then just split against Coastal and Southern Miss. Win one of those series and win a total of three games out of the six against the Chanticleers and the Golden Eagles. And that should be good enough to get in as an at-large. Well, that ain't going to happen. An inexplicable weekend for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. 
they played some of their worst baseball of the season. JMU is not a great team. JMU is not even a good team. And I don't care what anybody's going to tell you. They're not. But they played good this weekend. They played well this weekend, and the Cajuns played awful. Just awful. After dropping two of three to Troy, you're like, okay, they're going to bounce back now. Lost two of three to Troy. Lost to Southeastern. Right? They beat LSU, and you're like, here we go. Here we go. And then it's 10-8 loss to open up the series. 13-2 loss to lose the series. And then a 9-4 loss to wrap up the sweep at the hands of the Dukes. If you're not familiar with James Madison, they're the Dukes. Would you like the good news or the bad news? Um, I am all about putting lipstick on a pig. Okay. What's the good news? So the Cajuns are a game out of second place in Sunbelt. That's the good news. And the RPI only actually dropped to 70, which is actually very surprising to me. Uh, I guess being on the road helped you with that. Uh, so you only you were in the low to mid 60s entering the weekend after the win against LSU. You only dropped about five or six spots. So that is also good news. The bad news is, A, the pitching concerns are probably the deepest concern overall, and it's you know going to stretch past this weekend. Uh, the other bad news is you're now in a position where you're tied for a spot in the seventh spot in the Sunbelt tournament has to play into the tournament, essentially. That's correct. Seven, eight, nine, and ten. So you're ten and eight. Georgia Southern, Texas State, Old Dominion, Troy are all tied for third with you at ten and eight. But one of those teams is not going to make the, the bye. Yeah, like one of those teams is going to have to play a game on the first day of the conference tournament to get into the double elimination format. That's crazy. And you know, I don't exactly know why the Sun Belt chose to. I guess I do. They wanted to, you know, include some teams. But you know, there's a lot of teams, by the way, that aren't going to make the tournament at all. You're not really in danger of that yet, but you could fall into that category. If, if you lose a few more series here. So, like, the Sun Belt's a jumbled mess. It feels like Coastal's the clear-cut top team. They just made a statement taking two or three from Southern Miss. And, oh, oh and, by the way. And they come to the Teague this yeah, coming weekend. They're taking for... a bus down here, and uh, they're going to be arriving in Lafayette, or maybe a plane. Not exactly sure what their travel plans are. Maybe I'll get back to you on that one. But, uh, yeah, Teal Nation's going to be here, and that team is good. And if you don't pitch a whole heck of a lot better than you did last weekend, they're going to score 100 runs on you in this. And so, yeah, there's uh, there's some cause for concern. JMU, with the sweep, Dawson, is now the ninth best team in the conference. They're 8-8 eight and eight in conference after the sweep. So you got swept by one of the worst teams in the conference. Yeah, I wouldn't say one of the worst, but... They're in that. They're in that. They're in a tier above the worst teams in the conference, but they're um, they're not great. No, they're not a great team. They're not Marshall. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, they're still one of the bottom half teams in the in the conference. 
So uh, I'll be more negative and say they're one of the worst teams in the conference. They were heading into the weekend. I guess they're not now after sweeping the Cajuns. The pitching has been a concern of mine from jump. And here it is again. It is April 24th. You ain't figuring that out now. Like, this is what this team is. So you're just going to have to roll with it because, you, look, I've watched enough college baseball. You, you just don't figure out. There's there's, there's not going to be a guy that's all of a sudden going to pop up in the last three and a half weeks of the season and go, hey, I'm your guy. I got this. They're going to have to out-hit the competition, and they did in this past weekend. Now, they gave up an enormous amount of runs. I was even surprised by how much JMU teed off on the pitching. Um, the, the, the other thing is this. All the goodwill you built up from beating LSU is now... It feels deflated because here's the other big thing, the bad news, if you will. They've lost back-to-back conference series, and they've lost six of eight. That includes winning against LSU. They've lost to they've lost back-to-back conference series. They've lost a midweek contest to the worst team in the Southland Conference in southeastern Louisiana. They got a top 10 ranked Coastal Carolina team coming to town this week. Oh, yes, they have Southern and Northwestern State. So, for a pair of midweek games. But, I mean, I didn't think we would be at a position where the Cajuns were trending towards possibly not even receiving a bye into the conference tournament. Would you like more bad news? <laughs> I'd, I'd love it. Give it to me. Cajun pitching gave up 32 runs on 40 hits in three games this weekend. And so, you know, it's almost like. Gross. Oh, it's just, yeah. And look, you know, the so the Friday night game, let's get back to that a little bit. The Friday night game was a very good baseball game, and the Cajuns kind of fell behind early but battled. Um, played pretty well, find a way to get back in. And Julian Brock hits a massive two-run homer, down a run in the top of the ninth inning. It's a massive two-run homer to give you the lead, and it feels like you're going to steal one, kind of set yourself up for a nice weekend. And JMU responds. And look, they, you know, I, I, I don't exactly know, kind of what the what the what the plan was going into the bottom half of that inning. They tried to go to Jake Hammond. It didn't look like he had it. They went to Blake Marshall with lefty lefty matchup. He got you an out, but then he gave up a, a walk and a run. And then you went to JT Etheridge and he gave up a three run homer. And, you know, so I, you know, that run was charged to Marshall. He didn't actually give it up, but just, you know, it was JT Ether. And, and look, I think JT's shown some real signs this year. He's got a real future ahead of him, but um, that's not the guy I was expecting them to go to in that spot. And so, you know, look, if he gets the guy out, you say, great call, way to go to him. But um, JMU hits a three run homer, and, and so it just felt like that took the wind out of your sails for the rest of the weekend because then they come out and just get stomped on Saturday. They got just absolutely curb stomped, man. Just just, just a very strange turn of events. And, like, you know, you go back to that that moment right there. Cajun baseball and softball both got walk-off home runs hit against them when they had leads in the bottom half of the last inning on Friday night within a few minutes of each other. Cajun softball responded and won the series. Cajun baseball kind of allowed it to linger and got swept. So just a tale of two different weekends for those two. 
for Cajuns baseball. It's Coastal this week. Then it's on the road at ULM, I do believe. Texas State at home, and then Southern Miss on the road. So they got a month left. And look, they'll have opportunities because Coastal is 13-5. and five. They're at the top of the conference. Southern Miss is right behind them. Southern Miss avoided being swept. They, they only lost two of three to Coastal in a marquee Sunbelt matchup this weekend, but they're still second place. Then there's Troy, Old Dominion, UL, Texas State, Georgia Southern, all at 10-8. and eight. So we saw the Cajuns drop two or three to Troy. We saw the Cajuns get swept by James Madison. They could lose two or three easily to, to Texas State as well because that was one of the series I said, you know what, they're the better team. Well, now that's not the case. Like the only series I feel comfortable saying the Cajuns are going to win is ULM. That's the only one. Now, could they be schizophrenic on us and turn around and go out there and take two or three from Coastal this weekend at the Teague? Sure, that could happen. And would be like, what's this team? Or they could lose two or three or get swept. So, disappointing weekend for sure for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll get to the NBA playoffs. We'll get to the Zurich Classic. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA playoffs. Boy, the first round's been wildly entertaining, hasn't it? The Warriors have tied up that series. And it feels like they have all the momentum. Once again, we talked about the series really doesn't begin until a road team wins a game. Sacramento wins the first two in Sacktown. Draymond gets suspended. We expected Golden State to respond in game three. They did. Well, yesterday, they survive a Steph Curry blunder to hold off for a 126-125 win. That series is now tied two games apiece. And now you feel probably wildly different about how that series is going to go because Golden State has survived Draymond's suspension and a Steph Curry blunder, and they won both of those games, by the way. Now, Golden State is maybe the worst team in the NBA this year on the road. They are atrocious. But they are the defending champs. They win. That series is now tied 2-2. Interesting yesterday, Celtics had their hands full after dropping a game to Atlanta. The Hawks responded, were able to get a game, but Boston takes game four, 129-121. Tatum and Brown combine for 62 points. 
Just a pedestrian 62-point performance in the playoff by those two guys. As now the Celtics take a commanding 3-1 to lead in their series, they'll look to finish it off with the gentleman sweep, as we like to call it, when the series goes back to Boston for Game 5. So Boston on the brink of advancing Golden State has now evened up the series with Sacktown. Can Golden State actually win a game on the road? Knicks Cavaliers. This Knicks team is pretty good, man. I know Cleveland is flawed, and we're going to have to have a separate conversation about Donovan Mitchell's teams in the playoffs at a later date. I love Spider, but he just doesn't seem to be on teams that are constructed well for the playoffs. What's it like as a Pels fan, though, D'Lo, to see two former Pelicans that weren't deemed good enough to still be Pelicans helping a team get on the brink of closing out a playoff series? It's it's it's. I don't really think of it that way. I, Julius Randle was, first of all, not the same version of Julius Randle in New Orleans, and that just wasn't going to be a fit. Josh Hart was a great role player, but, I mean, when he moved on, that was because the team – was kind of constructed in a way that didn't require him anymore. So, I mean, I'm happy for those guys. See, you took the high road. Thank you. Thank you. Love Josh Hart. Always did. He started yesterday. 102-93 win for the Knicks as they go up three games to one now in that series. And, boy, that that looks like they are going to move on. And, look, they play tough. They got a bunch of guys – and they have been able to construct a team with a bunch of guys that other teams didn't want anymore or simply moved on, right? Dallas Mavericks, they didn't necessarily make good decisions. <laughs> well, but with the Knicks real quick, and, and not only do they look like they're going to beat Cleveland, but that Milwaukee series is no longer looking the way we thought it was, and... Even if Milwaukee finds a way to claw their way back, like we don't know what Giannis looks like moving forward. So the Knicks feel, you all of a sudden you feel like you have a real shot here. Like, and, and that's the, one of the most dangerous things you can give a young team is hope. So Correct, and they have a veteran coach, right? So that plays a big role. And speaking of those Bucks, they play tonight. Still no Giannis due to contusion. We don't know if he's going to play tonight, right? Dawson, so that that's still up in the air. That's essentially been yeah, game like, by game. Uh, yeah, and almost shocking that he hasn't played. We, like I don't know. You just thought it just sounded like he was going to, and then you just you know rolled out. And which then which go, tells me that the contusion is maybe something a little more going on there. But it was weird because you got he you know they they made it sound like he was going to play, and then he gets ruled out, and then you go well maybe they're just playing it safe this game, and then they blow two, him out right? in game two. Now maybe that's maybe that blowing them out in game two is part of the reason they didn't play him in game three. They thought, okay, maybe we maybe we'll just rest him and then you get beat pretty handily in game three. It's been a weird series. I mean, just really can't get a read on on what the you know, what the vibe going into each game is. And now, like again, Miami's missing Hero and, and but And now Oladupo is gonna be out for the remainder of the playoffs as well. Yeah, but it just it still feels like Milwaukee's just inconsistent right now. And and Milwaukee was for so long the only team we could count on in the league, right? You know, Milwaukee and Boston was like the two teams you knew you were gonna get. Um, that's no longer the it's 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 interesting. And like the, I mean, you know, obviously it's two one, you're almost in a must win game. It's not quite, but it's pretty close. And Yeah, Miami's up two games to one and that you gotta game, do it on the road. And that game will be tonight in Miami the other game tonight 
is definitely a must win in my opinion for the Grizzlies. Jaw hasn't been right. Brooks has ran off at the mouth. That didn't hasn't really worked out well for him. Um, coming at the King, and the Lakers are up two games to one. And we talked about this being an interesting series and a dangerous series for Memphis. That the Lakers were the team that they did not want to face because L.A. had LeBron and AD. And sure enough, the Grizzlies still haven't figured out how to win. They've talked a lot of trash. They want to be the villains of the NBA. Well, you got to back it up. And you can't get punked by an old, aging, crippled Lakers team. And that's exactly what's happening as we speak. Now, if they even up the series tonight, make it 2-2, then I like their chances, but... I don't know, man. This team, I just look at it and I go, there's something off about the Grizz. And maybe it's Ja and everything that went on off the field, and now he's got the, you know, he's banged up. But they just, there's moments, there's stretches in those games that they've played against the Lakers where you go, they're not even on the same floor with them. Which is a weird thing to say because Memphis is the two-seed? <laughs> well, and that's the same thing with Miami and Milwaukee. It's why the, it's just been really strange. You know, I mean, it, it like Philadelphia and Brooklyn was like the series that was what it was. The games went how you'd expect them to. And it was like Philadelphia looked a lot better and Brooklyn played well at times and got close in a couple of games. But like you could tell who the better team was. Some of these other series, it's just so strange game to game how different they've been. And Milwaukee and, Bo- and Miami is probably the top of that list. And yeah, Lakers and Memphis might be second. You know, it's just... Who's going to be consistent enough in the playoffs right now? And so we haven't seen consistency from really anyone outside of Philly and, and for the most part, Denver. I mean, Minnesota steals one last night, but I think Denver's looked good. But again, I think we think those teams are playing maybe the worst two teams in the postseason, even though Brooklyn's a six seed. Of course, they're not necessarily the team that got them the six seed. Correct. So it, it is it, it has been an interesting first round overall. Timberwolves Nuggets will play again tomorrow. So will Hawks and Celtics. Clippers Suns. I want to talk about that briefly. I want to talk about Russ. Because I actually agree, which is stunning to me. I was not, I did not have on my bingo card Kevin Durant and Chris Paul coming to Russell Westbrook's defense in the postgame presser over the weekend. But that's what they did. And it shows a difference. It always shows a difference to me when this happens. And their comments were very kind of thought out. Players view him differently than fans and the media do. And it's one of those cases where we as the fans or as media go, well, look what Russ does. He has all these turnovers and everything. Like, Look, Russ has carried the, the Clippers. He's getting no help. None. They signed him off the street after Utah bought out his contract. And we thought, well, Russ's career is over. And he's looked really good in these playoffs. He helped them win game one with his defense and making his free throws late. He's tried to carry them. But they don't have Paul George. They don't have Kawhi Leonard. Imagine that. Those two guys are dealing with injuries yet again for another postseason. And he's had to kind of carry them on on his back. And, yeah, Phoenix leads that series three games to one. 
I still don't feel wildly confident in Phoenix's chances to win the whole thing because I just I know they're going that you think they're going to get better playing together but you know it's like Russ and no one else and to hear Durant come to him a guy they didn't have the best relationship as teammates sometimes it became volatile Chris Paul and Russ and to hear those guys speak so highly of him and to talk about how, well, the people that are critical of his game, that people that think he's a bum or whatever, and I'm paraphrasing, they, they just don't understand basketball. And I think there's a little truth to that. It's easy not to like Russ because he doesn't kiss up. He's got an edge to him, right? I get it. But you can never say Russ quits. You can never say Russ doesn't give effort. And I think guys around the league, Dawson, respect that. They like a guy who is going to ball, so to speak, the entire time. And I think guys respect that more so than maybe members of the media do or maybe fan bases do. Yeah, I- I don't, and it, the the funny thing is, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't have expected it from Durant because that seemed fractured for a long time now. But I, I don't know. I Russ, like, there's been a lot of situations that Russ has been in that haven't been very beneficial to him or the team, and I think the Lakers are kind of a prime example of that. So, correct, they got a name, but not necessarily a fit, right? And, and right. I mean, look, we've we've seen that's that's what teams do. They feel like they have to. I mean, see Dallas recently, right? Mm. But. Um, you know, it's interesting, and, and this Clippers thing, the, the Suns overall have just, I mean, I don't want to say caught a break, but they've caught a break. They've caught a break. Like, this Clippers team, at, at full strength, looked like they were going to at least, at the very least, grind this out into a seven-game series, and now Phoenix catches up. What's interesting, though, is Phoenix would have to play Denver in the second round, and you know we're looking ahead a little bit there, but both teams up 3-1. The bottom half of the Western Conference playoff bracket right now is is interesting because Sacramento and and Golden State and the Lakers and Memphis, like I don't know how good we feel about any of those four teams. Uh, maybe better about whoever comes out of Sacramento, Golden State, but you know the it, it might be one of those situations where the you know the maybe the quote unquote real Western Conference Finals is that second round matchup because Phoenix and and Denver to me have the two best rosters and are the two deepest teams, but they're going to match up in the second round, so. I think that's interesting to see, but on the again on the Russ thing side of things, um, that can the Clippers kind of reconstruct this and, and try and make this work? Like I think the Russ trade at the at the very end, like kind of caught people by surprise, and maybe it didn't look like it was going to make a lot of sense, but it seems like it's kind of working. So if you get everybody healthy, but again the Clippers have been saying that for a decade now. It's like you, you know it's 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 similar to what the Pelicans have been dealing with, but it's been going on for even longer. But. There is this thought where you go, Russ and Kawhi, that looked like it was kind of going well. So you wonder what could happen if those two would, would try to work this out for a, for a little bit longer than, than what they are now. And Russ does have kind of an alpha personality, but Kawhi is so quiet and so is Paul George. That may work, right, when you're talking about gelling and, and working together. But you're right, him and Kawhi did look like they, they, they played well together. I just I remember a time when Kawhi Leonard looked like he was going to be a top five player in the league for for the next decade, and injuries have and weirdness has kind of 
taking that away. We're going to take a timeout. When we return, Zurich Classic. Got a new champion. We'll talk about it next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Zurich Classic of New Orleans took place over the weekend, and I was in attendance. At TPC Louisiana, bud. Yes. A place that I am a little bit familiar with. Used to work there. My wife was very excited when she was like, do you see this golf tournament where they have the Gators on the course, and the golfer's like right by the Gator? Yeah. I said, yeah, that's the the Zurich Classic. Yep. They had a lot of, they had some statues of Tripod out there. Um, I haven't heard from him, though. I'm not sure if he's still around. Uh, I heard some... I was listening to PGA Tour Radio, too, and I heard some conversation about whether he's still out there or not. So I'm not sure if anybody has uh, confirmed the whereabouts of Tripod. But he has plenty of statues and um, souvenirs in the gift shop in his honor. But uh, it was an exciting tournament. And, um, you know, I think the Zurich Classic is something that's it's now been going on for a long time at TPC Louisiana. It's had some different iterations. It's had some different formats. It's now the two only two-man team event on tour. Um, it's unique in that aspect. I think, look, the course, to be honest, probably a little bit too easy to host traditional PGA Tour tournaments. And, I mean, you even saw some crazy low numbers. Now, 30 under par ends up being the winning score for the team, but, of course, that has a best ball format for two days mixed into it. So, It's a bit of a ridiculous number, yes. Yeah, but, but again, with the best ball, that, that's yeah. certainly what lowered that. But, um, you know, it ended up being a nice battle. Unfortunately, you kind of lost some of your drama because Bo Hostler and Wyndham Clark just kind of faded down the stretch, made a couple of bogeys late, um, and that allowed our winners, uh, Davis Riley. Like, and, and that's the thing. that they, I wouldn't say they came out of nowhere, but they certainly weren't circled on my tee sheet at the beginning of the week, and they end up uh, coming up with a big win. So it was exciting to see both their first wins on tour as well. Yeah, Hostler and Clark. Duo led much of the day, was only able to shoot a one under 71 in the final round as they let it slip away from them. And defending champs Shoffley and Cantley were in the mix but couldn't run down the leaders. They finished tied for fourth at minus 26. But record crowd on Saturday, nice crowds, great weather, so a successful Zurich Classic down in New Orleans. That was a successful hour number one of RP3 and Company. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It was a weekend of sweeps, the good and the bad. LSU goes on the road, gets their first conference series sweep of the season as they take all three games from the defending national champs, the Ole Miss Rebels. Had to fight for it. Had to get a pinch hit home run on Sunday to complete the sweep. And they have another star player injured in the mix with Tommy now being out 
with an undisclosed injury. We'll hopefully find out more today when Jay Johnson meets with the media. But the number one ranked team in the country won themselves another series and got themselves a sweep. Even though Ole Miss is on the struggle bus and they may be the worst team in the SEC this year, a sweep is still a sweep. On the flip side of that, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, well... After beating LSU, the number one ranked team in the country in a midweek contest, which felt exciting, which felt amazing just to be there inside Alex Box Stadium to watch that good crowd on hand on Tuesday night, they go across the country to take on James Madison, one of the worst teams in the Sunbelt Conference. And they lose a game in the bottom of the ninth on Friday. They get their faces crushed on Saturday and then lose the game and get swept on Sunday. It's April 24th. I still don't know what to make of this Raging Cajuns baseball team. They're keeping you guessing. Certainly. You know, there was one other sweep that took place over the weekend and... and Oh, I'm getting to that. Yeah, I know. It's just you let it slide the whole first hour. and I'm the one that came up with the poll question. Yeah? Who came up with the poll question today? That was yours truly. That was moi. It was. Astros yesterday take down my Bravos 5-2 to complete the three-game sweep. You want to know what happened in this series? Because I'm going to break it down for you. In case you didn't check it out. Over the weekend, you weren't privy to what happened between the Braves and the Astros. It's going to come down to two things. Would you like to know, Dawson? Would you like me to break it down? Because I know you were down in New Orleans at the Zurich Classic rubbing elbows with the PGA Tour's best. Right. Obviously. Can we have a couple segments booked out to talk about if Mauricio Dubons has surpassed Mike Trout as the best player in baseball? (laughs) He has been very good for the Strohs. Astros storm into Atlanta, sweep the Braves, coming from behind to win 5-2 to two on Sunday. Houston now improves to 12-10 and 10 and has won four games in a row. They'll take on the 19-3 Tampa Bay. Don't call us Devil Rays unless we wear an alternate throwback uniform over the weekend. Which, is that what they did? Astros bullpen in the three-game series against the Bravos. My Bravos. This is what they did, Dawson. Nine and a third innings of work. Zero hits, zero runs, only gave up three walks, struck out 11, and picked up three saves. So the Astros' bullpen, which had been shaky to start the year, right? We talked about it on last week's show. There were concerns about how shaky the bullpen was for the defending World Series champs. Against the Braves, on the road in Atlanta, nine and a third innings of work, No hits, no runs, three walks, 11 Ks, three saves. Would you like to know what the Braves bullpen did over the weekend? I'll go ahead and share that with you. Nine and a third innings of work as well. Hey, there's a good comparison. 16 hits, 12 runs, 11 of them earned, three walks, 13 strikeouts, and two blown saves. Give it up to the Strohs for having the better bullpen. Give it up to my Braves for finding ways 
to choke away two wins against the defending World Series champs. Two blown saves. Nothing like getting swept in a series because your bullpen blew two saves and gave up 12 runs on 16 hits in nine and a third innings of work. Gross. Absolutely phenomenal performance by the Braves bullpen that decided to just use the bathroom down their leg every time they were inserted into the game over the weekend. But it's April. I guess our GM will make some type of move for someone in the bullpen by the trade deadline. That leads us to our poll question of the day. With the sweep of the Braves, have the Astros turned a corner? 50% of you say yes. 38% say still unsure. 12% say no. Mr. Green says, I don't know. I do know the Braves play my Marlins next, which isn't good for my fish. Braves going to be mad, mad, and they'll be looking to take it out on the next team they face. Thanks, Strohs. LOL. JPK, the AUD, says, yeah, sure, whatever. Somebody's got to finish second behind the Mariners. Let's look at those updated standings, shall we? After the weekend. Speaking of, oh, the Seattle Mariners are 10 and 12 overall, and they're currently firmly in fourth place in the AL West. They've Just, got a comfortable lead over fifth, though. Oh, poor Oakland. Also, Kevin Foote, and he tries to do this Piper thing that doesn't make sense, and he's like, oh, the Braves, they scored zero. I'm just, it's just the Piper's going to get... They didn't score more than four runs in a game against the Astros, so he yeah. didn't calm down with this Piper talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole thing of, well, well, the Braves, you know, that they, they, they were held scoreless. He even told me, he says, I saw what your little team tried to do, uh, score no runs before we come to town. Yeah, because the team goes out there and says, we're not going to score any runs. <laughs> like, come on, And now, dude. like, he'll be like, well, you know, today, if they don't score any, or if they if they outburst, they'll be like, well, they, they, it was time, the Piper was due. No, you said it was due Friday, and it didn't happen, so I don't want to hear it. It's a made-up construct in your head that is just absolutely asinine. <laughs> Saltiness about the Kevin Foots paying the Piper theory. Houston's now 12 and 10, only two and a half games out of uh, first place, Texas, who, despite injuries, has, has gone seven and three in their last 10. Hart on the Twitter says, at RP3, I know the teams you root for in NFL and Major League Baseball, but I don't think you ever spilled the beans on the college teams you support. I've, I've, I've mentioned many times, and there's only one college team that I support, and many of you hate that team. So we'll just leave it at that. Ralph says, this is really just the Astros' MO. They're like the horse that always breaks slow but comes roaring down the stretch. Anyone who's panicking just needs to eat some unfrosted cake and Mexican street corn and chill in the hammock. I wonder who that comment's about. (laughs) Unfrosted cake and Mexican street corn and chill in the hammock? Cat, it's a hammock season. That's what Kevin tried to tell me last year, by the way, Dawson. You weren't privy to this. He kept telling me, Cat, it's just a hammock season. Just enjoy it. It doesn't matter. You won the World Series last year. It's a hammock season. I do mostly agree with that concept, yes. It is a hammock season right now for the Astros. Has he embraced it being a hammock he's, season? He's, he's doing better than I thought he would. 
I have a little, you know, I have He's distracted I have by the draft. Well, that's that's definitely the case. Wait, wait, wait. June wait and July are going to be Yeah, wait, wait, wait until June and July come around. <laughs> Todd says, this had to be hard for RP3 Sports. I don't know they turned a corner, but they're peeking around it. I don't get worked up. Is it disappointing? Was I texting some of my fellow Atlanta Braves fans about the series? Yes. But I don't get too worked up about April baseball. I just, I just don't. And there's the other thing for me. The Astros series really doesn't mean all that much because, look, I'm worried about beating the division. All right? Look, beating the defending World Series champions would be great in April. I'd much rather beat Houston in October, which we did a couple years ago. That's all that matters. Steve says, salty Steve, with a non-salty comment. At 12 and 10, they're only two and a half games out of first. They're chasing Texas, who is notoriously known for collapsing. Yes. I wouldn't be too concerned about that. So it sweeps all around, right? LSU gets a sweep at Ole Miss. Astros get the sweep of the Braves. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, unfortunately, get swept at the hands of JMU, the Dukes. McNeese didn't get the sweep, but they got the series win. Let me tell you, I was there Friday. The Rogers kid is the real deal, man. I purposely went on Friday for the one game of covering the McNeese Cowboys versus the UNO Privateers. Privateers went with the road stripes, by the way. Dark color with the white pinstripes on it. Didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. Just saying, didn't hate it. Yeah, you know what I saw recently? Just I didn't get a chance to talk about this. I've been doing a little bit of play-by-play, of course, kind of trying to work that side of my career. And I called a game, a junior college softball game the other day, in which both teams wore white jerseys. Oh, fail. Just unfortunate. <laughs> Just coordinate better. Come on now. Rodgers did not have his best stuff on Friday. It didn't matter. Like, you know a guy is good when he becomes only the second pitcher in McNeese history to start off 9-0, and he doesn't have his best stuff. Like, he gave up hits. He had seven hits. Had a couple of walks. Put base runners on. And every time he, that happened in Friday's game, Grant Rogers just pitched right out of it. Got a strikeout or got somebody to ground out. He didn't have his best stuff. He even admitted to it afterwards. Didn't matter. They still mercy ruled you know, because the lineup just teed off on pitching. You know, I believe led the Southland Conference heading into that game with home runs, and it was McNeese that had two home runs in the ball game as they won in seven innings. Now, I still have questions about the rest of Justin Hill's staff because they don't have anyone remotely close to what Rogers brings to the table. They just don't. They got one guy. And you can't pitch that guy every day. But they were able to gut out a series win. They lost game two. They bounced back one game three to take the series. And that's all that really matters for McNeese. But Rogers, kid. Well. And he's big. I didn't realize how tall he was. Like, I had to look up to him. And I was like, ooh. And I know it's a little bit of looking ahead in McNeese. I mean, look, they're they're technically only in fourth place in the Southland, but I still consider them the favorites. I think they're the best team. 
and this is way looking ahead and projecting things, but you start to think about that's not a team that a one seed wants to see in their regional because nope. they're going to have to face Grant Rogers on Friday night. Correct. And you know, look, good? and we know how these things are done regionally. And if you're LSU and Baton Rouge, I think look, you you still feel good about your chances. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot better options than having to face Grant Rogers. And I don't think. You know whether the, and look, there's there's a possibility. Of course, they're they're just as close to Texas as they are here. So, you know, the Longhorns and some of the teams in Texas that are going to be hoping to be regional hosts, you're not going to want to see McNeese's name show up in the bracket. Uh, no one's going to because that's one of those teams that just on on that Friday night they've got as good a chance to beat you as anybody. Now, else. you don't like their chances the rest of the weekend. Right, because they don't have anybody else like Grant, but they do have one legitimate ace. The kid, but if, the kid's if, legit. If you're that one seed, though, you're not facing them the next day. Correct. Right? You're, you have to then face a different team, so you, you could end up getting now. You start to come back through the losers bracket. You'll still have a chance. And again, that's not to say that they're gonna beat anybody with him on the. Well, mound. and 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 here's the thing, they still have to win the conference because Absolutely. last year, last year it looked like they were headed to the NCAA regional, and they they lost two of three to Southeastern after winning the first game. They lost the championship series at home there at Joe Miller Ballpark. So they'll have to, you know, but they're making moves, right? They're improving. They continue to win another series. So Justin Hill's team looks like they're ascending there in the Southland Conference. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, by request and by request for the man who actually does it, decon level, coming back. For the Raging Cajun baseball team. You've done one of these about Matt Diggs' team already this season. I believe it's probably going to be a little bit different this time around. That's coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. How concerned should you be about your favorite team's recent struggles? Time to sound the alarm for Decon Level with D-Lo on the game. All was well in Cajun Nation last Tuesday. Yeah, last Tuesday night, yes, it yes. was it was a magnificent time to be a Raging Cajun baseball fan, yes. Yes, we were telling people what our name is and how to use abbreviations for it and it was all really a lot of fun. The SEC Network broadcast even got it right. I was happy about that. Um, and it figured, let's head to James Madison, pick up a quick series victory, and we'll be back you know, on our way. That didn't happen. Now, I didn't think this series was going to be you know, easy at all. Um, you know, and I mean, we heard, I heard a lot of people talking sweep. I didn't think it was necessarily going to be a situation where you were going to go in there and get a sweep. Um, I think James Madison is a little better than we think they are. I don't think they're a great team, though. Like, So don't get me wrong here. They are not one of the top four teams that you're going to play three of in the next month. They're at best an average team in the, in the Sunday yeah, Conference. Yeah, and so you, you went to James Madison. 
You were going to start Cooper Rawls on Friday night, which was going to be kind of a switch up from what he's done. Then you had your regular guys. You had, you know, Jackson Neza and Blake McGeehee. Now, you know, the injury to Jake Hammond and him going back to the bullpen is interesting. I, I still don't necessarily fully understand, I guess, where, where he stands with that, but it made some sense to give Cooper the start because of how well he's pitched. And, you know, look, Cooper, I, I thought, battled. I th- He gave up, like, one run apiece in each of the second, third, fourth, and fifth innings, I think, you know. Um, didn't have his best, but, but kept you in it. And then the offense came to life. You scored, uh, I believe, eight runs in the last four innings of that game on Friday night. Julian Brock, uh, down a run top of the ninth inning, Julian Brock hits a massive two-run homer to take the lead. And you thought, there you go. That's the big swing that's going to get the weekend started. And again, like we've talked about, it's baseball. Sometimes all you need is that one big moment. Um, But that's not what happened, because in the bottom half, you did bring on Jake Hammond. So I was a little surprised by that. Again, like he, so I guess he's just not, I think maybe they're just more comfortable with him in the bullpen role anyway, more so than the injury also being a factor, but he didn't look great. He got you through a third of an inning. You went Blake Marshall, lefty matchup. He gets one out, but he does give up another base runner. And you went to JT Ethers to try to close it down, and he gives up a three-run homer walk-off. And, you know, those types of games, I understand that they take the wind out of your sail, but what you can't have happen is what happened to the Cajuns on Saturday. And they got the doors blown off of them. They lose 13-2. to Um... Jackson Neza was not good at all. I mean, just got crushed. And the pitching staff as a whole wasn't great. And the offense didn't respond and fight. You know what I mean? And and so that was just kind of disheartening. So my level is going to be a 3.7 out of 5. That's a pretty high number. For you, yeah. Yes, and we've seen kind of how this scale goes. We've had Pelicans comparisons in the past. We've Um, had Raging Cajun baseball in the past. Yeah, and, and, you know, look, I wasn't nearly as concerned last time around, but this time the pitching for me is getting to a point now where, like you've kind of mentioned, nobody else is showing up. Like, this is who you've got. And, you know, it's not to say Cooper Rawls won't rebound and pitch better this weekend against Coastal and Jackson Neza and Blake McGeehee and, you know, a lot of those guys in the bullpen as well, but... You know, they've never had a legit Friday night ace all season long. We've talked about that, and that's never been more apparent. They just don't have the guy. They don't have Grant Rodgers, no, the way McNeese does. Um, they maybe have a better team around him overall than McNeese does, but they don't have Grant Rodgers on Friday night. And so now you're coming in, and so it's one of those week, weeks where you're going to try and get right, and you've just got a top 15 team potentially coming to your house in Coastal Carolina. We'll see where the newest rankings put them, but in my opinion, I think I've seen Coastal play a lot this year. I mean, they're as good as anybody. They're sixth in the nation in RPI. So you're going to have to figure things out quick. Now, you do get a couple of midweek games, and I'd imagine Coach Degg's probably pretty happy about that, probably pretty happy to get back out on the field tomorrow night uh, against Southern, and then they'll play Northwestern State as well on Wednesday. So you got a chance to turn things around. The reason it's a 3.7 and we're not in the fours yet uh, is because the RPI didn't take as big a hit as I thought it would. And you do still play the three of the four best teams coming up. So you have opportunities, but you don't feel great about your chances in those opportunities You've right also, now. at this point, have lost two series to teams that are at best average or below average in the conference in App State and James Madison. Yeah, no, and that's true. And, and the other one in Troy is, is a team that I think is maybe a little better than average, but not by, you know, they're not one of the top four teams. So, again, you, you haven't now, played any Now, in the standings, they are. Correct, but by the eyeball test, you're like, nah. You still, I well, I still think Coastal, Southern Miss, Texas State are your three, and I think the Cajuns 
for a long time, I had clearly in that four as the top four. Now I'm not really sure anymore. Troy, Old Dominion, UL, Texas State, and Georgia Southern are all tied at 10-8 and eight in the conference. Right, and, and so Old Dominion's been the other wild card about that. They haven't played nearly as well as they've started to get into the really tougher part of their conference schedule. But it's it's time to kind of to, to kind of dig in, right? If if you're Matt Dex's team now, look, Coach Dex, I I imagine that, uh, you know, remember this like an, two weeks ago where you said like 40 wins was realistic? Yeah, no, and that that's 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 a far uh, that's a far cry from now. But I think um, you know he's I don't think he's scared of these types of moments, right? No. As a coach, I think no. he's ready to let his team, and I, I'm sure he's going to be challenging the guys this week and saying, look, like you know, this is this is where we need to be. It's just very disappointing with the momentum that you had off the LSU game. But me and Kevin had a couple of conversations last week about like that win doesn't necessarily do anything for you past that win. And like, yeah, it was huge and the RPI mattered, but like that win doesn't mean you're gonna go to James Madison and play really well. And it surely didn't, right? So that stuff's gotta get figured out. It was good to see DeBarge get back in the lineup. I do want to mention that. He played short and he and he looked like he's starting to feel like himself again. Julian Brock, who had the stomach, you know, food poisoning or whatever it was last week, he looked fine. Of course, he hit the big two-run homer. Um, so that that's good news that your best guys are getting back in there and looking and looking healthier. But the bullpen, you know, and look, Toit's coming back, we think, and that's going to be a big boost. Boy, you could have used Toit in the ninth inning on Friday night, though. So um, you know that that can hopefully start to fix things. And I'm. I'm certainly not ready to give up on the Cooper Rawls experiment on Friday night. I'd like to see him get a shot at Coastal, and, and I'd imagine he will. We'll see if, you know, I'm sure Coach Deggs is going to speak in the next day or so about that, and we'll get an idea. But um, also another week where you're going to have to stretch your pitching out. A couple of midweek games heading into a you have Coastal five series. five games this week. Yeah, that's not – and look, maybe, you know, Southern is, uh, is not a team very high in the RPI at all, and so uh, Northwestern State not really either. So maybe a chance to get some younger guys some work to kind of save some of your better arms for the weekend. But that's no guarantees that you're going to go in there and beat Southern and Northwestern State if you don't play well either, right? And you really can't afford those RPI losses. Those would be killer to your RPI. So They've lost six of eight. Got to start turning it around, and it would be helpful to do so this week. Yeah, I mean, it, again, this is the best team you got to go play. three and two this week. Like, I just... I. You have to win both of your midweek games. You have to at least get one. I think you got to. I think you got to win the series against Coastal. If you're if you've got serious ideas of of, of being the team that you were supposed to be, I think you got to beat this. You got to win win a series against Coastal. Correct. So there you go. Three point seven on the on on Delo's DefCon scale. So there you go for the Raging Cajun baseball team. They'll have opportunities Southern tomorrow night at the Teague, then Northwestern State. On Wednesday night, then they'll have a day off, and then it'll be a three-game set against Coastal Carolina. Tuesday and Wednesday's games will both start at 6 o'clock. Friday's game will start at 6 o'clock. Then Saturday's game will be at 4 o'clock. And then, for some reason, Sunday's game starting at 10.30 a.m. while everyone is in church. (laughs) Getting ready for church. Obviously, that has something to do with Coastal's travel plans to get them back on campus at a respectable hour so. We'll talk more about this throughout this week's RP3 and company. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio will join us. We'll talk about LSU getting the sweep in Oxford and his thoughts, any takeaways from the LSU spring football game, which was held on Saturday as well. That's all next right here on the game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU baseball team made things interesting over the weekend in Oxford, but they got the sweep, the first one in conference play, did so against the defending national champs. To talk about that as well as give his thoughts about the LSU spring football game is the man who co-hosts Tiger Rag Radio, which you can listen to every week right here on the game. Our good friend Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning, brother. How are you? Oh, doing well, Raymond. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So, Give me your big takeaways on what you saw and heard over the weekend as LSU was able to go to Oxford and get a uh, sweep, their first series sweep in SEC play. Well, three quality starts, right, from their pitchers. I mean, you expect it out of Paul Skeens. Uh, Ty Floyd throws a a career high as far as innings pitch going eight in the third on Saturday. I think that quiets a lot of the naysayers on whether Ty Floyd's really a a good enough uh, number two starter. And then Christian Little uh, gives you exactly what you needed yesterday as well. Uh, I mean, there, there's still obviously some issues there uh, with the bullpen. Maybe they went with Javen Coleman a little bit too long. Uh, you know, you're asking a lot out of a guy uh, who's just coming off Tommy John surgery um, to, you know, the, you threw him one inning on Tuesday and then you, you bring him back that Sunday and you ask him to go that second inning for you. Maybe they went uh, an inning too long with him. But, um, hey, w- uh, the, the home run by Hayden Trevino, are you kidding me? I mean, one ball, two strikes, two outs. Uh, Hayden Travinsky barely used it all this season. Third string catcher, uh, really only out there because uh, Brady Neal has been uh, b- battling a back injury here lately. And the guy slugs you a three-run homer to give you the lead? I mean, if that doesn't tell you that this team uh, isn't special, I, I don't know what else you're, you're, you're waiting for. Um, I'm not sitting here saying that they're going to you know, win a national championship, but, heck, that's, that kind of stuff happens for, for teams that win national championships. A guy that only has 14 at-bats all season – uh, who saw you know regular playing time in his first couple of years at LSU to to, to come out there? I mean, it, it was it was a great move by Jay Johnson. He, he recognized the situation. He has this guy on the bench in Travinsky who's got some pop. Uh, Malazzo is a guy who's been hitting for a high average, but doesn't have the pop. This might be his one chance. And then I think it's not only the decision to to go ahead and, and bring in Hayden Travinsky at that time. But you also have to give credit to the coaching staff to keep Hayden Travinsky engaged during the course of the season. Again, you're talking about a guy who played in 33 games last year, made 16 starts, made 12 starts in 2021, has been on this team since 2020, he's barely playing. And for him to come up with a, a big hit like that, man, that was, that was incredible. You mentioned uh, Ty and Christian pitching well and getting exactly what you need out of them, and I do agree. They probably 
through Coleman a little too much. He's still kind of easing things back. Do you already feel confident that this team has enough pitching behind Skeens, or do you need to see another maybe strong weekend from them this coming weekend against, say, Alabama? Yeah, you'd like to see them now start stacking quality wins. Let's face it, this Ole Miss team, <laughs> they must have sold their sold their soul to the devil, right? You win the national championship a year ago, and now you're three and fifteen in SEC play. I mean, that's that's ridiculous too. How do you do that after winning the national championship? But they're 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 in that spot right now, uh, and so LSU took advantage of the situation, and now you want to see Ty Floyd and Christian Little kind of start stacking these quality starts. I mean. Uh, Floyd doesn't have to go eight and a third every time, but but give me give me six innings, give me six innings uh, of giving up three or four runs, uh, and, and the same thing with Christian Little. Those kind of starts uh, are so are, are so huge uh, for this team. And then the other thing that uh, happened this weekend, you get Nate Ackenhausen back. Uh, he throws. I mean, that was uh, big to get him back out there as well. So I mean, there's there's you know, a lot of quality things uh, that are happening pitching wise. It, yeah, you still have to, you still have to kind of fine tune this thing and, and figure this thing out. But uh, Ackenhausen, Griffin Herring has been really good here lately too, out of the bullpen. I mean, this uh, quality player out of South Lake, Texas, and you know his last few outings here have been have been pretty good. You know, he picks up the save. On uh, Friday night in that seven to three win, you know, going three innings for you. Um, I know he against Kentucky a week ago. He, he gave up a few runs, but you know he was really good against Tennessee. Really good against South Carolina. Um, you know, Arkansas not a bad outing against them as well. So he's pitched very well in SEC play and has an ERA of two point one six. So um, you got to. It, it, it's not perfect, but it, it's. What you're, what you want to see, especially once you get past tax day, Raymond, is this thing start to kind of come together, especially pitching wise. Roles get solidified, guys start becoming a little bit more consistent on the mound, and and maybe you saw that. Now again, they they were taking on an Ole Miss team that's, uh, I'm not exactly sure what the heck's going on with them, and the fact that they only got three wins, but still, uh, what they did was was I think significant. Now let's see if they can. Is see if they can do it again next weekend against Alabama. Great series victory sweep, but it, it's another weekend where the Tigers yeah. win, but they lose a player to an undisclosed injury. Uh, uh, Tommy has been playing like an All-American this year for this team, and Jay Johnson didn't have any – idea or description and, and reporters didn't see what exactly happened I'm sure we'll get an update today when Jay Johnson talks to the media but how big of a deal is that if he has to miss considerable time man that would be big that would be get big because in the middle of the order I don't I don't think there's any team that can that has that three four combination of Dylan Cruz and Tommy White and you look at what Tommy White has been able to do this season it's been it's been very impressive, especially uh, when he's got runners on base. And because he's got Dylan Cruz and Gavin Duga and Trey Morgan hitting ahead of him, 
Tommy White usually has guys on base, and he's been taking advantage of it. And he's driven in 66 runs. He's one of the nation's leaders in that category. I mean, that would be big if if it's if he's out for a considerable amount of time. Um, it was great to get Gavin Dugas back. Uh, I mean, he, I think he's so essential at the top of the order. But uh, you would hate to see. Uh, you know, another uh, another injury like that. And I don't know really what to make out of it, Raymond, that, you know, Jay Johnson didn't provide much of an update of it. Maybe just they just don't know. So you don't say anything. So I can't sit here and tell you if that's good, bad, or, or, or what. Um, you know, the Gavin Dugas injury looked really bad. That looked like, oh, my goodness, did he separate his shoulder? Is, and, and he was he only missed a, you know, basically a weekend of action. And he was able to come back. So, uh, and, and Tommy White, he got injured in the first game of the year, and that kind of looked bad. But he was able to come back and at least uh, swing the bat and be a designated hitter a week later. So let's. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I, I'm sure it's going to. If Jay doesn't, if Jay doesn't address it in his opening monologue to reporters coming up uh, later today, and I think he meets with the media at 12:30, uh, it's certainly going to be the first question that's going to be asked by the the uh, throng of reporters that are going to be there. We're talking with Jeff Palermo of the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. He joins us here on the game. All right, let's switch over to spring football. Uh, Look, it's glorified practice. It's glorified scrimmage. Uh, Big takeaways of what you've seen from spring football and then the spring game, it being kind of capped off this past weekend. Yeah, um, I, I guess you could say that it's nice to see Kyron Lacey come up with a big play. Uh, I mean, he's certainly somebody that's going to have a, a much bigger role on this team than he did last year. He's certainly a guy that's going to have to step up. I mean, you figure Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas are going to be your top two wide receivers. Uh, who's going to be that third, fourth, or fifth guy, uh, whether it's Kyron Lacey, whether it's a Chris Hilton, what about a Landon Ibietta? Uh, those are the kind of things that you're, you're kind of waiting to see. I, I mean, the quarterbacks look good, right? I mean, Jaden Daniels, um, you know, Brian Kelly says this guy's preparing to be the best quarterback in the country next season. And if he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country next season, LSU is going to be in discussion for a, a national title or at least for the college football playoffs. So that's good. And then Garrett Nussmeyer, uh, I mean, if something did happen to Daniels, you'd feel pretty good about Garrett Nussmeyer. I don't know if there's another team in the SEC when you look at their top two quarterbacks on their depth chart. If they can, if anybody can say that their their top two is better than what LSU has, so that's that's fantastic to see. Um, and then I, I don't know anything kind of outside of that. Uh, how? I mean, how well did the defense play? The linebackers look good, right? I mean, Harold Perkins, um, Omar Spates, uh, Greg Penn, I think those guys look terrific. Um, and then, you know, kicking might be a might be a little bit of an issue here. Uh, they, the, the two kickers that they trotted out there, uh, each of them, you know, missed uh, fairly long, you know, makeable field goals, but they had some distance to them. So, uh, you know, Damian Ramos was the guy last year, but uh, had a big field goal against Florida. But it's it's certainly not guaranteed that he's going to be the guy uh, going into this season. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your week. Enjoy Tiger Rag Radio as well, my friend. 
No problem, Raymond. You have a great week as well. Thanks. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Whole question of the day. With the sweep of the Atlanta Braves, have the Houston Astros turned a corner? Yes, no, or still unsure. Right now, 46% of you say yes. 43% of you, though, say still unsure. 11% say no. I feel like they've started to turn a corner. Look, they're always slow starters, the Astros are. Bregman is starting to hit. You're starting to see them kind of turn a corner. Michael Brantley did his first rehab assignment yesterday, so you're going to get him back probably in the next week, week and a half. Altuve, you'll get back in another month. Lance McCullers Jr., you'll probably get back in another month. And look, this team is only a few games out of first place of the Texas Rangers. So I still like their chances, and they always start off the season sluggish. They always come out the gate slow. Alex Bregman is always slow, sluggish to start the year. And don't forget, the Houston Astros are now two games above 500, and they've had to do so without Jose Altuve. They've had to do so without Alex Bregman playing well early, with Jeremy Pena having the sophomore slump. You know, and no Michael Brantley yet. They've had Tucker and Alvarez and Dubon really kind of carry this team with their bats. And going on the road and sweeping the Atlanta Braves. Getting out of there without any injuries to an elbow is good stuff. I wish I could say the same thing about my producer extraordinaire who just apparently injured himself. Yeah, it's been rough. Look, not the elbow started the day off accidentally hitting the sounder in the first segment. And now it has hit the counter <laughs> at supreme force. So, yeah. Not... Not it's not so not it's, optimal. It's so much of a Monday. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it is so much of a Monday. Hey, some news we want to share with you real quickly before we wrap up hour number two. Uh, Hayes Fawcett, who uh, does a lot of the social media announcements for um, recruits, not only here in the state of Louisiana but the entire country. Four-star cornerback Jawan Johnson tells Hayes Fawcett that he is decommitted from Colorado. The six foot 192 cornerback from Lafayette, of course, LCA star, had been committed to the Buffs since February. He has a total of 23 offers, including LSU and Florida. He's one of the most dynamic two way players in the country. So he is decommitted from Colorado and is now back on the market, so to speak. So we'll see what happens with. That young man, he is a sensational player. Make no bones about it. I thought for sure that was 
signed, sealed, and delivered. Dion had that locked up, but I'm not for sure if what happened at the spring game. A lot of these guys go to spring games. I'm not for sure where Johnson went for a spring game. Did he maybe go to LSU? Just saying. That's they, they use really we 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 bag on the spring games all the time, right? They're glorified scrimmage. You don't really learn anything. But the schools use the spring games as a great recruiting tool. That's what they do. So we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. Whew. Two hours in the books. What do we got still left for you? Uh, Dawson and I coming up in hour number three. We're going to look at the quarterback class for this year's NFL draft. Give us some thoughts. Apparently, Will Levis is now the, the riser. And Stroud may be the kid that's going to fall. I love the week up to the draft because... So much misinformation gets dumped out out there. That's coming up, but also a great conversation with LSU All-American linebacker and 10-year NFL vet Brady James will be joining us talking about his new initiative that he's doing with his research group. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Time for us to kick off our number three on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And we're going to do so with one of the best to ever put on pads here in the state of Louisiana. He's a Monroe native. He'd go on to star at both Wasman High School and West Monroe High School in track and field and football. He was the Class 5A MVP, a parade All-American for the West Monroe Rebels, helping them win the Class 5A title in 1998. He would go on to be a two-time All-SEC and first-team All-American at LSU, becoming only the second player in program history to record more than 400 tackles. He was selected in the fourth round of the 2003 NFL Draft by the Dallas Cowboys. He spent a decade in the league recording more than 800 tackles. He's the founder of Tiger Research Group, who has partnered with LSU Health Shreveport for a great new study examining topical CBD creams in treating pain relief for athletes and more. It was recently published in the Journal of Cannabis Research. Joining us now here on RP3 and Company is the LSU legend, Brady James. Brady, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Raymond, how's it going? You're relentless. Thanks for having me on, man. Look, man, I just try to attack the interview process like you used to attack quarterbacks and running backs, bud. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you start hearing all some of your credentials and things that have happened in, in my past, um, I have had a, a a legendary or a historic kind of run as far as being all the acclimate, uh, acclimates and accolades, I would say, that I have. Um, and one of the one of the – most proud moments that I have, um, being inducted in the LSU Hall of Fame, being young alumnus of the year um, in 20, what, 12, 2013, that was huge. Um, however, 
now becoming an investigator slash researcher um, for a passion project project uh, is even better. It makes it sweeter to even have the opportunity to partner with the school, um, the flagship school in the state of Louisiana and the school that helped me uh, transform from being a teenager to a young man and really gave me a platform to go do anything and everything that my heart desired. So um, it's awesome to have that experience and to talk about the science of um, pain management, chronic pain. You know, when I, when I first started going down this, this avenue, um, I remember sitting down with a group of scientists and doctors, and I told them what I was thinking about doing because I wanted to really know my curiosity was, man, I've heard so many things about the plant, cannabis. Um, a lot of people talk about cannabis in a, you know, a negative light. Um, so I kind of stayed away from it until I was done playing. And once I got done playing in my professional year, uh, career, what ended up happening was I started seeing some anecdotal evidence that people were having, were getting relief. Um, now, there's multiple applications on how to use uh, cannabis. Um, one of the, you know, ways that are, I guess, popular or that people kind of relate to is really smoking. Well, I'm not a smoker, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to do much by, you know, kind of rolling up and smoking weed. I wanted to get all the way out of that, and then that's the way we start developing and understanding the different applications of cannabis that gives off cannabinoids, and the major cannabinoids are THC and CBD. Well, CBD is federally legal, and it's abundant all over the place. Um, however, the issue is whether you have good CBD or not. So efficacy came into play, and being a former athlete, we were responsible for what we knew to put in our bodies. And so um, I wanted to see what was all the fuss, what was all the noise about cannabis and CBD. And so here we are, sat down with a group of scientists, told them what I was thinking, and I told them, I said, hey, man, how about we, you know, look at a niche group, a specific group of people, and see if this really works or not. Or, you know, come up with whatever, you know, prove or disprove what we're thinking. And then one of the guys sat down and said, hey, man, science is unbiased. So there's no need to have an agenda. And he also asked, hey, why are you concentrating on a specific group? Well, he didn't know that the specific group was probably professional athletes. And the reason why I did professional athletes is just – just from a practicality standpoint, if I knew that professional athletes um, have all these injuries, you know, over time, if you play long enough, no matter what we look like on TV or what we might say, you have, you know, things, bruises, surgeries. You come back if you have a surgery within the season a lot of times. So there are some residual things that comes along with that, and that's pain. That's called – and it – end up being chronic pain. So when I told the scientists that I was thinking about doing a professional group, 
they told me, I don't know about it. They were saying that they were real skeptical because they didn't feel like that uh, represented the uh, population, the general population. Well, my rebuttal was, if this stuff works with athletes, I'm pretty sure it'll work on the average layman or anybody else. And so that started the whole curiosity in the paper and writing research behind, you know, if this thing works or not work. You spent a decade playing at the highest level of football, and you were known as a hard hitter. You were known as a guy that was a tackling machine. And I know it is so easy for individuals, whether they're former players or even people just out there that are holding down a nine-to-five, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, it doesn't matter, whether it's coming or trying to recover from surgery or whether it is just dealing with some pain relief, that type of medication that can be doled out to people, opioids, has created a huge problem in our country, Brady. How scary is that when you seen that with people, whether it's loved ones or just friends, family, colleagues, other players? Well, it's no longer taboo as far as the, the opiate uh, epidemic is no longer taboo. There's no need to stop talking about it or not talk about it because it's affecting um, all kind of socioeconomical classes. Um, it doesn't matter your religion. It doesn't matter your race. Um, it's affected. It's, a, it's getting into everyone's uh, neighborhood. Um, so with that being said, there has to be some sparing or some kind of alternative. And uh, with me being in my bubble playing football and being part of football for the majority of my life, when I got into the real world, I saw started seeing every you know people were really affected, and they were really taking uh, opiates or whatever that that were prescribed to them. How here's the thing: the ultimately, people are trying to close the pain loop, and the pain loop is if you are chronically dealing with something every day. Chronic means every day you can't get rid of it; it's nagging then you will at some point seek some type of relief. Well, some people have uh, gotten you know, hydrocodone or some sort of opiate, and that just opens the door to a negative result. Um, now, we, you know, we've been taught that cannabis, stay away from it, you know, reefer madness. Uh, I'm a, I'm, I grew up in the era of dare, and... Say no to drugs. That's right. Just say no, Brady. The just say no campaign. We all had to wear the buttons in kindergarten and first grade and second grade. (laughs) Yeah. We had Scruff McGuff and all those guys showing up. And so I did have, you know, that experience and, you know, that that, that level of skepticism when it came down to um, the plant, um, cannabis. And I just had to put that aside. And I remember what the scientists told me from the beginning. Hey, science is unbiased. And so if science is truly unbiased, let's go see if this actually works, if it has some efficacy or if it doesn't, and then write about it. This is this paper that we were able to get published. is just the beginning. Um, there are some other things that we've uncovered. However, to stick on this particular topic, you know, one of the things that the system that we have in our bodies is called the endocannabinoid system. And what it does is it is believed to control uh, temperature, inflammation, and pain. 
no different. And, and it also has uh, the endocannabinoids. And it's more things that it does, eating. Um, however, what comes along with the EC, uh, ECS is receptors. You have receptors that are in your brain, in the periphery, meaning in your body in different ways. It's very similar to, like, histamine and how histamine is, you know, the body's uh, allergic kind of regulatory, like allergy reg- regulatory. And it also has multiple receptors that's in your body. So what we wanted to do was kind of target and see if we can have um, one of these cannabinoids ping off of one of the receptors. Well, that was one of the initial uh, methods that we were looking for. However, when we got in it and when we start um, going through the study, the study started producing its own data. And so in the paper, that's what we basically recorded. It's not my words. It's not what I think. It's not what somebody else thinks. It's not politically, you know, um, motivated by anything. I just reported what the findings showed us with the participants and what we were able to um, uncover. And we decided to go down the path of getting it published. And so those guys, and people don't understand, like, I mean, this is not a social media post. Like, to be published and to go um, in a science journal, there's a lot of parts of the process that you have to go through. And, man, with, with cannabis, like, there was nobody that was willing to say, Yes, let's do this. Like, you had to really prove and cite and have your references of where you got your information from so that you could, you know, put some good information out there to possibly help someone. We're wrapping up our conversation with Brady James, former Parade All-American at West Monroe High School. He became an All-American and All-SEC linebacker for the LSU Tigers. He played 10 years in the National Football League, primarily with the Dallas Cowboys. He's now the founder of the Tiger Research Group, which has partnered with LSU Health Shreveport for this great new study about topical CBD creams with treating pain in athletes. And just, you know what? The regular Joe's on the street. It's been published in the Journal of Cannabis Research. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Brady, let me ask you this. You know, with the NFL draft coming up and all these young men that are they're getting this opportunity to pursue their dreams. What is some sound advice from a guy who played at the highest level and played extremely well? These young bucks, so to speak, that are coming up trying to get to the NFL. You know, it's uh we in a new age, especially if you're coming from college, you got your transfer portal, you have your NIL and um it's it's definitely fluid. We're still trying to figure it out. However, what's constant and what's not real variable is the NFL. And the NFL, you can't because a coach, you know, talked to you crazy or you didn't like what a coach said or you don't like what, you know, somebody is look like today. There's no portal. Like, if you make it to the NFL, you have to have staying power. And in order to, you know, have a long career or to be – you know, an old man. I remember when I got in the league and there was a lot of old men on our on our team. And I remember by my third year in the league, I said, you know, it's not that it's not a bad thing to be an old man in the NFL. And so that means you've had a pretty good career because every year there it's a replacement business. You have a draft. You have someone trying to take your position. 
So my advice to anybody that's getting ready to come out is learn, understand your place, and contribute. If you can contribute and you can learn, guys will help you and you can help your team be successful. And that's the name of the game. That's what you want to do. It's not a, you know, it's a team sport, so it's not golf where it's just you and your club and the and the ball. No, it's <laughs> multiple personalities, it's multiple characters, it's multiple things. You have to be accountable. You have to do everything you can as a rookie to come in to help your team be better. And for anyone out there listening that's going through this draft process, just remember that Brady played for Don Shiles, Nick Saban, and Bill Parcells. Those are some of the three greatest to ever do it, and those are some hard-nosed coaches that expect a lot. And uh, if you allow yourself to be coached, Brady, you can succeed in a multitude of things, just not football, right? <laughs> yeah, you need to have a little talent. But you, it, 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 takes a, it takes some humility. Um, because you think about the younger guys that's coming out. Everybody that's coming out was the best at their or one of the better people at their university or on their teams. Well, everybody's good in the NFL. And when you get that first crack at it or, you know, everybody's good in basketball too, in the NBA, WNBA. So when you get your opportunity, that's where preparation meets hard work. And that's when you go out there and you perform. And so it's, it's always something that goes along with that. However, you know, that's just one part of the continuum. For, for instance, like for me, I realized that football could never be my career. I mean, it's just no way because at any point you can get hurt. See, football was an experience for me. And so when, you look, when, when I got a chance to look at what I got a chance to do as far as playing, it changed my whole kind of mindset, and it was like, okay, how am I helping uh, my team? And when I get done, because it's going to happen, I will be done, what will, what will I do next? And for me, I was raised to be full round, all the way around, and I knew that I needed to do other things than just be a football player. And so here we are. You know, fast forward 10 years. It's, it's been 10 years since I played in the NFL, too. So I played in the league 10 years, and I've been done for 10 years. So it comes full circle. It doesn't last long. So you got to, you know, take advantage and maximize as much as you can so that you can be sane and be, you know, balanced and healthy so that you can lead your family. And that's what I'm trying to do. Brady, well said, brother. Thank you so much for your time. Keep up the tremendous work. All right. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though isn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. 
with the sweep of the Atlanta Braves have the Houston Astros turned a corner. They're now 12-10 and 10 on the season, two games above 500, only a few games out of first place of the Texas Rangers who continue to win despite having injury concerns of their own. But have they turned a corner? Going to ATL, getting the sweep. Now they're going to start a series against the Tampa Bay Rays, the best team in baseball. Right now, 44% of you say yes, they have turned a corner. 41% say still unsure. 15% say no. Some of y'all are saying no. Strong with a no. Texan and Katie says the Astros could go 162-0, and but they want to make teams think they have a choice. <laughs> have a chance, rather, sorry. I, I like that. I like that confidence. Look, for me, we talked about this earlier on today's show. It all boiled down, the entire series boiled down to the bullpens. And the Astros' bullpen had been on the struggle bus to start the season. They had some issues. They looked shaky. They didn't get the job done. But boy, they played extremely well going in there to Atlanta and getting the sweep. And the difference was the bullpen. Difference was the bullpen. Astros bullpen in the three-game sweep of the Bravos. Nine and one-third innings of work. No hits, no runs, three walks, 11 Ks, three saves. Got the job done. Solidified things. As you're supposed to do. The Braves bullpen, meanwhile, apparently decided to try to go out there and pitch like you would if you were drunk on box wine. Because that's how they performed. Nine and a third innings of work. 16 hits. 12 runs. 11 of those earned. Three walks. 13 strikeouts. And blew not one, but two saves. That was the difference in the series. You talk about, you know, the hitting. You can talk about how Alex Bregman is starting to turn a corner as well which is great news if you're an Astros fan because you're getting Brantley back. He had his first rehab assignment over the weekend. He's going to be rejoining the team in a couple weeks. You'll get Altuve back in another month. Things are working. Things are trending in the right direction. And Alvarez and Tucker and Dubon have really kind of carried the load, so to speak, in a big way. You're also getting 327 average out of Corey Jolks, which I'm just not sure anyone saw coming. No one saw that coming. But as long as he continues to hit, you keep playing him. And he's come up clutch for them. He's come up big for them. So they're getting contributions, and they're doing so even with guys on the IL. And they're still finding a way to go on the road and get – that's why I keep telling all you Astro fans. Every year we have the same conversation, you and I. The sky is not falling. Stop acting like Chicken Little. You always start off slow. You're going to start off slow again this year. You got injuries to key guys. And yet, here we stand, April 24th, and this team just went on the road and swept the Atlanta Braves, and the bullpen looked right, and Alex Bregman's starting to hit, and you're getting contributions from like Dubon and Corey Jolks that no one anticipated. You'll be just fine. Keep those votes, though, coming for our poll question of the day. It's all about those Houston Astros. Do you feel like they've started to turn a corner right now? Many of you, nearly a majority of you, say you're still unsure. Still unsure. 
I mean, didn't they take two or three from Toronto last week too? Dawson? I do believe they did, yes. There we go. And the Blue Jays are one of the best teams in the American League. They just took three out of three games against the Braves. They're one of the best teams in the National League. Just saying. And now they take on Tampa. Keep those votes, though, coming for the poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Let's not get sideways on a Monday. Let's not start the week that way, shall we? We've talked a lot of baseball today. We've talked Houston Astros. It's our poll question of the day. We talked about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns getting swept at James Madison. We've talked about LSU getting a sweep on the road against Ole Miss. We talked about McNeese getting two out of three against UNO. By the way, saw Grant Rogers in person on Friday. He's the real deal. Kid's good. Really good. Big, tall, powerful, accurate pitcher. Yeah. Those guys don't grow on trees. We even talked about the NBA playoffs. But you know what? When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we're going to talk NFL draft. It is draft week. First round's Thursday. Second and third round's Friday. And then rounds four through seven is going to be Saturday. Lots of misinformation. Lots of nonsense being thrown out there. Particularly about the quarterbacks. Which they're always overdrafted to begin with. D'Lo and I will dive into this talk about Will Levis rising, possibly being the second quarterback taken, and now Stroud because of some sort of test that was taken that I don't really understand what the test is about. I was never a good test taker myself, and look at me, I host a morning show. Just saying. Now Stroud may be the last guy taken in the first round. He's going to plummet. We'll dive into all that nonsense next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NFL draft is this week. There's projected to possibly be five quarterbacks taken in the first round. And you know what I'm going to give you on that? Woof. Here's the problem when you take quarterbacks. And I've said this before, and I feel like I have to say it every year. The reason why quarterbacks don't succeed in the NFL, a big reason, is because this is what happens. Bad teams draft them higher than they should because they're desperate to have a quarterback. They don't have the pieces around the quarterback for them to succeed. They also don't have the right coaching in place to develop the quarterback. NFL front office people fall in love with potential. And you can make the argument that every single guy gearing up for the draft all these guys, you're drafting based on potential, right? Because it's one thing to be successful in college, but transitioning to the NFL where everyone was a stud in college every time, even the worst teams. Like even a team that has three wins is still better than any team that is put together in college. 
because this is the NFL. It's the best of the best. But so many times we view these quarterbacks as the savior, the franchise savior. We're going to build around the QB position, even though you shouldn't do that. You should build your actual lines of scrimmage first and then make it easier for a quarterback to make the transition. And we've seen this happen over and over again. Tom Brady makes the transition into the NFL because he gets drafted late. He's a backup. They have good line of scrimmage play in New England. They have a salty defense, and they have the greatest kicker of all time. And he's able to ascend into that role, and it's easier for him. Yes, it's still pressure for him to step up. He still has to make the throws. He has to make the reads. He has to develop chemistry with his teammates. But it's a lot easier to go the Tom Brady path or the Russell Wilson path or the Jalen Hurts path or the Patrick Mahomes path or the Aaron Rodgers path. Look, I just named a lot of the best quarterbacks that have played in the last 15 years, haven't I? I mentioned a lot of guys that have gone to Super Bowls, haven't I? They all have something in common, don't they? It's amazing how that works. Brady, late-round pick. Russell Wilson, a mid-round pick. Jalen Hurts was a second-round pick. Patrick Mahomes was a first-round pick, but he was picked, what, at 10? He wasn't the number one overall pick in his draft. He wasn't even the first quarterback taken in his draft. It matters for the quarterbacks where they go, who their coach is, how they're developed, what tools they have around them. Oh, and wait for it if they actually have competent lines of scrimmage. It's amazing how that works. Very few guys can be Peyton Manning and Joe Burrow. Those are few and far between. That's not the norm. That's not the average. Those are the exceptions to the rule. They are the exceptions. That's why they are, wait for it, exceptional. So here we go again, another year. All these franchises are going to overdraft quarterbacks like they do every single year. They're not going to take the approach like Kansas City did, saying, hey, you know what? We already got a starting quarterback, a Pro Bowl ca- ca- Pro Bowl quarterback, by the way. But we're going to take this guy because this guy, Patrick Mahomes, we believe he's the future. He's going to sit and watch how to be a pro, which matters, by the way. And then we're going to transition to him. It's a luxury pick. It worked. It worked for Green Bay for a lot of years too, didn't it? Aaron Rodgers had to wait, what, three plus years before starting? Sat behind Favre, league MVP. Got to learn the game. By the way, Brett Favre was a second-round draft pick. Just throw that out there as well. Every year we hear this. And every year these teams overdraft quarterbacks. And here we are again, ramping up the week of the draft. And so much misinformation is being poured out there. Now the thing is, Will Levis is the guy, D'Lo. This is what I'm getting told. I'm getting told by draft experts that Will Levis is the guy. Now, mind you, a lot of these draft experts have said a lot of ludicrous things over the years. Mel Kuyper said Jamarcus Russell was going to dominate the league. They, They go really high on all these quarterbacks. They sell us a bill of goods during the draft process and the night of the draft saying this, this, make these bold claims. And once again, they just ignore the how the fact how a team is actually constructed in the NFL. 
But now Will Levis may be the second best quarterback in the draft, maybe the second guy taken. And apparently, C.J. Stroud, because of some sort of score, cognitive score, he scored an alleged 18, which is Paul Bond, one of the lowest ever. 80 is considered good. He got an 18, and now he's dropping like a stone in the draft. Do you believe any of this, or is this the classic agents throwing stuff out there to media outlets to make other teams panic, to make their players, their agents, their clients, rather, look better and get them drafted higher? Yes, I don't believe any of this. Um, like, now... The overall arching storyline of these of this year's quarterbacks, yes, they are all, in my opinion, they all have like legitimate concerns. Like there is not Andrew Luck in this draft class. Um, there's not Joe Burrow. There's nope. not even really, you know, some of those guys that we've talked about in the past that that feel like they're quote unquote can't miss prospects. Bryce Young has legitimate size concerns, and like we do not know how that's going to hold up. He's smart as a whip. He can make all the throws. It's a legitimate concern, but he's he's small, right? Uh, C.J. Stroud, now, you know, if you want to do this intelligence score thing, even other than that, though, there's legit concerns about his ceiling as a player, uh, wh- wh- where he can reach. I think everyone kind of thinks he's going to be a good pro. I don't know if anyone thinks he's going to be an elite talent. And by the way, teams also like doing this as well, this whole misinformation thing, because a team, always remember, teams are in it to make money. So if they can get right. themselves a C.J. Stroud who – literally two weeks ago, people thought was the best quarterback prospect in this draft. If he falls, you pay him less money. See how that works? Right. And one, the other thing, too, to think about is, like, we have this overall idea of, like, what everyone's average perception is of this player. Like, if you took all the GMs and and averaged it, maybe he would be the eighth best player in the draft, right? Well, it doesn't matter because the team that takes him is the only grade that matters. Correct. So if a team takes him at two, they take him at two. Even if the other teams all agree, he's like the 25th best player in the draft. Um, So those two, and those are the two that I like the most, but I still think they have legit concerns. Will Levis, of course, was completely inconsistent in his career at Kentucky. Uh, And Anthony Richardson has legit accuracy concerns. Hendon Hooker is 25 years old and played in a very friendly offense coming off a major injury. So every quarterback in this class has legit major concerns. Correct. That doesn't mean that none of them are going to work out. And history would tell us one or two of them will probably be good pro NFL quarterbacks. Uh, but my your guess is as good as mine on which two. I would take Young and Stroud as the two. Uh, but it would not shock me if, again, if Will Levis or Anthony Richardson land in advantageous situations. Look at what Brian Dabble did for Daniel Jones, right? Like Correct. It, it matters... Where you go, Dawson, and we look at this. We look at this situation. It matters who your coach is, who's going to develop you, and where you're going to go, and what the pressure is going to be in that situation, and what are the other guys on the roster look like. Yeah, that matters. It's a lazy mindset, and part of this is because of fantasy football. The lazy mindset of the quarterback means everything. A quarterback prospect cannot succeed if you don't build around them. That's how it works. You have to give quarterbacks weapons that are reliable. You have to give them a line of scrimmage. And you have to give them a defense. And they have to have good special teams. This is how this works. Like, that's how football works. And, you know, when I look at these guys, they all have flaws, as most do. And you're right. 
usually if we have five going in a thing, and I'm working on a little something, by the way, started over the weekend a project about quarterbacks in the first round for like the last 20 years. You usually get one legit guy out of every class on average that is going to be a guy that's going to be what I would deem a franchise quarterback, which is a starter for five years and a guy that can go to at least a Pro Bowl. I'm not talking MVPs. That, 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 those are few and far between. But on the most part, you get those guys. Those are very few. And then you get guys that kind of bounce around that can play in the NFL for 10 years, but they lose their starting job in year two and three, and they become backups, and they bounce around for a while and everything like that. And then you have guys that are complete bust, right, that are out of a job after two and a half, three years. You're going to have all of that. The majority of the guys that are drafted are going to be those guys that are in the middle that start off as starting quarterbacks, lose their jobs, and then bounce around the league. Okay? Most of your guys end up like Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota, just to name a couple right off the top of my head. Guys taken early, drafted early, franchise saviors, doesn't work out, they bounce around, they become backups. They make a living. They get some spot starts here and there, but that's, that's what their career is. Most of the guys drafted are going to end up that way, out of this class. The percentages are maybe one of them turns out to be a legitimate franchise quarterback long term. Who it is, it all depends. Like We're not even talking about their own health. Take that out of the scenario. Where do they go? What franchise they go to? What type of stability do they have in the front office? That also stunts quarterbacks' development. I remember Jason Campbell had a different OC quarterback coach like every year of his career. Well, how do you expect a guy to develop if you're constantly changing coaches? That matters as well. Stability. The franchise's stability in the front office and with the coaching staff. These things matter. So just remember that. As you're listening to all these people telling you that Will Levis is the second coming of Josh Allen or that Anthony Richardson is Cam Newton reincarnated, right? Pump the brakes. It matters. Pay attention to where they go, who their coach is, who their quarterback coach is, who their OC is, how stable is the franchise. Do they actually have an offensive line? Do they have a defense that can actually get you off the field and give the ball back to the young quarterback? Do they have weapons on the outside? All of that matters. Don't let yourself get suckered in to these bold proclamations this week about these guys. Because history and the data will tell you otherwise. Got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Usawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. 
Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guests for helping us kick off this week in style. How about Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio? My man was ready to go this morning. Laser focus in D-Lo. Talking LSU baseball. Broke down the spring game for us as well. Man, set, man yeah. set, set the tone for the week. Yeah, he was just as locked in as we were. And you just love when that, when that energy gets matched. <laughs> what a collaboration. Bud, we got through. We got through. I yeah, know it was, it was a little bit of the struggle bus. It was Monday. Yeah, we had some issues, was. but. Yeah, rose. I got another one to go. We'll see. We'll yeah, see. It should be a glorious Monday morning. The Astros swept the Braves. Yes, yes. We're, we're hopefully going to hear from Coach Matt Eggs in the first segment, and that, that might not be as glorious, but, um, you know, hey, they've got an opportunity to turn things around. they got a big series coming up this weekend. There you go. Love that positivity. Jeff Palermo delivered the goods. So did Brady James. LSU All-American linebacker, 10-year vet of the NFL, and about his research that he's heading off. Appreciate his time as well. So two really good guests to start off the week. We're going to keep it rolling right through this week, not to worry. We did have a poll question of the day. Let's get to those final results, shall we? We asked you, with the sweep of the Braves, have the Astros turned a corner? They're 12-10 and 10 now, only a couple games out of first place there in the American League West behind the Tejas Rangers. So have they turned a corner? 44% of you say yes. 42% say still unsure. And 14% say no. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments as well. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. It was an interesting weekend of sweeps, right? Astros sweep the Bravos. LSU had to fight for it, but they got a sweep of the defending national champs, the Ole Miss Rebels, on the road in Oxford. Oxford, rather. I found out, did you know why they refer to Mississippi, uh, Oxford, as the SIP? Did you know this? Does that not have to do with Mississippi being the name of the state? There it is. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> Until this weekend. I was like, why do they keep saying the SIP? So I asked an old Miss grad, and he says it's a dumb thing. I was, but I go... I lived in Mississippi. I would have never thought that. Like, never in a million years. No one refers to Mississippi as the SIP. I don't know. I, it's Mississippi. Yeah. Are I, we that lazy where we just have to abbreviate everything? I don't know. They call it the boot, Louisiana. I I don't no, call I just, it. I've never called Louisiana the boot either. It's I Louisiana. Mean, okay. Use proper names. Wow. That's not what I expected. Uh, unexpected rant at the end yeah. from the old man. <laughs> That's going to do it for today's show. D-Lo's going to be back tomorrow. He's going to kill it. You just know that. I'll be back tomorrow as well. They let me in the building. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes, a glorious Monday edition, is up next right here on The Game.